Episode 5, Grandma's White Bread. Delicious, versatile, and easy to make. Welcome everyone to Baking with House of Bread, and I'm Sheila McCann, your host. I call Grandma's White Bread the no-brainer bread. It's an easy place to start to get great results pretty quickly. Now we use the Grandma's White for the base of a lot of different things in the bakery. So we make our cinnamon rolls out of it. We do cinnamon swirl, raspberry swirl. It's a base of also our apple cinnamon swirl. And then during the holidays, we'll introduce things called like the blueberry crumble or the strawberry cream cheese braid. And that's all made out of grandma's white dough as the base. And since the dough isn't really sweet, you can also take it savory. So we also use the grandma's white base for our cheese breads. So the garlic cheddar, jalapeno jack, basil parmesan, are some of the cheese bread varieties that we get out of it. When I decided to, I wanted to open a bread bakery in San Luis Obispo, California, I researched what breads were popular in the market. There were no other bread bakeries in town back then. And I remember asking a driver of like the oral wheat delivery truck. And he said, this is a whole grain town. And I was very surprised when I opened my doors back in 1996 that Grandma's White quickly became the best seller then and it still is today. It's also one of our most popular dinner roll varieties as well. And in today's podcast, the recipe I will be sharing will be big enough for a large loaf, like a standard sandwich type loaf, and also some dinner rolls, or if you wanted to do some cinnamon rolls. And, but anyway, so you get a loaf, it's about three pounds of dough. So you get like one loaf, one good size loaf, and then a smaller amount to play around with whatever else you want to do with it. The recipe is just unbleached white flour, water, honey, yeast, and salt. And while it lacks the fiber of the whole grain loaves, it's still better for you than 90% of the breads that you're going to find in the grocery store. And mass-produced bread, they use a whole grain flour that's milled at such a high temperature it kills everything in the flour, like all the nutritional value in it. Not to mention that they add dough conditioners, vital wheat gluten, mold inhibitors, chemicals, etc. And basically it's all designed to make more money. And that's the thing about home baking. You know exactly what you are putting in your body and you're not going to cut corners just to save a dollar. So we start each morning by putting the massive glob of grandma's white on our dividing table at about 5 a.m. So this is going to give us enough time to have the cinnamon rolls out of the oven by 7 a.m. when the bakery opens. It also allows us to have seven types of breads to be available for purchasing upon opening. And the batch size ranges from 40 pounds on a slower day to 140 pounds bigger batch during the holidays. And sometimes we even do like three of those huge batches. So we start out by dividing the two pound loaves first. So we shape them and get them into loaf pans for the second rising. Then we move on to making cinnamon rolls, raspberry pinwheels, cinnamon swirl, raspberry swirl breads. And then we clean the table off before we move on to the savory loaves. And you definitely want to do this the same order when you're home. Because if you decide to do a little bit of garlic cheddar and then do cinnamon swirl, I can tell you that that garlic permeates. And we've had it happen in our bakery where we got a complaint once because um, somebody they could actually taste garlic in our one of our cinnamon rolls. So you definitely want to start with the plain stuff first, then move on to the sweet, and then move savory. Because a little garlic in your cinnamon roll is the entire world's going to notice. But if you get a little cinnamon sugar in the garlic cheddar, no one's going to notice. 
So the reason I'm starting this with Grandma's White recipe is not because you need some rolls out of the oven by 7 a.m., but because it's a great beginner bread for learning to feel the dough. It also offers versatility for advanced bakers. And Grandma's White will give you a nice basic dough base to add to your bread repertoire. And I suspect beginners are enticed by what's called the no-need breads, thinking that, well, they must be easier to make. Well, in all actuality, they're actually harder to master. And they really don't lead to a better understanding how the majority of doughs should feel when they reach the good dough stage. Why? Because the no-knead doughs are typically a super wet dough that you do more of a like a stretch and fold method. There is no nice smooth elastic ball at the end of the process that makes knowing the good dough stage easier to figure out. And not that it's all about making it easy, and I'll be covering those no-knead doughs in the future, but the reason I'm bringing it up is because people who start with no-knead doughs that are more challenging often get frustrated and give up on learning the trade. Now, Grandma's White is named after my beloved grandmother, and she lived to be 100 years old. She baked, and I have a big photo of her in um, the bakery, and I have her birth date, 1888 to 1988. So she baked bread by hand until she's seriously about like 97 years old, which goes to show you that kneading is about technique and not brute strength. My grandma would wake up early to make a cinnamon bread and a big pot of oatmeal, and I'm Quite frankly, I could have cared less about the oatmeal, but I loved her cinnamon bread and all her sweet rolls. And the secret to my grandma's longevity was she ate a lot of great homemade bread, and she also had a little tonic she would drink. So once a day, she had a tang and Christian Brothers brandy, and she would explain it to you that, you know, this was her medicine, her tonic. It's kind of funny looking back on it now, because tang, which is a powdered orange drink. It was basically developed during the first flight to the moon. I mean, it's really hideous, but it goes to show you, we don't have to have a perfect diet to live to be 100 as long as we are eating great homemade bread. So we buried grandma with a full bottle of Tang and a full bottle of Christian Brothers brandy and also an empty one because all the kids drank a shot and we passed it around before sending grandma off to heaven. In all honesty, I'm not 100% certain there's a heaven, but I like to believe there is, and I don't think any of us are worse off to have that type of faith. But one thing I am 100% certain is that if there is a heaven, then my grandmother is still there baking bread. So grandma's white bread is a straight dough. So what that means is that you put in all the ingredients at once. White-based breads generally are straight doughs as opposed to like the whole wheat doughs, which are a two-step process called a sponge method. So a general rule of thumb is if the recipe has more than 50% wheat flour, then use the sponge method. And that is going to be a topic that I'm covering in the very next episode. Okay, so this recipe we're going to use is going to give you some options of what you want to play with. Okay, so I'm going to tell you what the recipe is and go over some tips on here. But I also am going to include the recipe in the show notes. Okay, so take a one half cups of warm water basically approximately 100 degrees. You don't have to measure it. Just run your tap water and that's fine too. And then run it until it gets to like the point warm bath water. And so that's that's what, if you think of yeast kind of like people, it likes a nice warm environment. So it doesn't like it too hot, right? And it doesn't like it too cold. So just run it, get it to a nice warm temperature and then you're good to go. 
Okay, so then you take your two packages of yeast, or if you have active dry yeast, which I actually prefer, it's one and three-fourths of a tablespoon. And I know three-fourths of a tablespoon is kind of hard to measure, right? Because a tablespoon contains three teaspoons. So three-fourths, if you want to just think of it this way, it's like just a shy less of a tablespoon. So one and three-fourths of the active dry yeast. Okay, then you take your four cups of unbleached bread flour. And so note that the recipe requires bread flour, not all-purpose flour, not pastry flour, and no double-lot flour. So the bread flour has more protein in it, which means it's easier to get the gluten properly developed. I go into much more detail on properties of flour in episode one, if you'd like to go back and review that. Okay, then you're going to add a quarter cup of honey. Any type of honey will work. I mean, if you use a lighter honey, you're going to have a lighter crumb. If you use a darker honey, you're going to have a darker crumb. But honestly, they're both going to taste great. Okay, then you go to a tablespoon of salt. And once again, don't overthink it. Any type of salt is really going to work. And I suggest you follow the recipe exactly the first time and you will have a great tasting loaf. However, you can adjust for your own personal taste. I mean, you can decrease or increase the amount of salt. Use one tablespoon of sugar in place of the honey. And, or substitute warm milk instead of the water that's there. And that's going to produce, you know, even richer bread. So you first want to proof the yeast if you're using the type of yeast that's in the packages, which means basically you're testing it to make sure it's still active. To do this, you place the yeast in a large mixing bowl and then add the warm water and then the yeast will start dissolving. Add the honey and really within a few minutes, you should start seeing some bubbles which appears And basically what's happening is the yeast is fermenting. It's exhaling carbon dioxide, if you will. So then you place the salt into a larger mixing bowl and slowly add in the three-fourths of the flour. If you're using active dry yeast, you don't even need to proof the yeast. Just throw out all the ingredients in one and reserve about a cup of flour to slowly add into the dough. Okay, I'm going to explain to you the two types of ways to knead, a hand kneading situation and a mixer kneading. And I really recommend that you start your bread making journey by kneading by hand. And the reason why, if you look at it this way, you're developing a relationship with the dough. And the more you can feel it, the more you're gonna understand how the gluten gets developed. And so you don't really wanna put that dough hook between you and the dough. And then once you get proficient at it, you know, by all means use that stand up mixer because you know it is a time saver for sure. Okay, so for hand kneading, you stir the mixture with your hand or you can use a wooden spoon and if you have a plastic spoon, that's going to work fine too. It basically, you just got to get the ingredients that are thoroughly blended. And then you want it to start forming a ball that breaks away from the sides of the bowl. Now, the dough is going to stick to your hands. And, and you want it to stick with your hand, to your hands. But if it gets to the point where it's so difficult to pull away with your hand, then add just a little bit more flour at a time. And if the dough feels stiff and doesn't stick at all, then you're going to have to add some water. And once again, start small, add a teaspoon of water time until the dough starts to feel good. Okay, so the the feeling of the good dough basically means is that it's going to be sticky still, but it's going to hold together in in a pretty good mass. And you also can, you can push into it, right? So it's not so stiff because if it's stiff and it really is hard, that means add more water. Okay, so now you're going to transfer the dough to a lightly floured, flat surface. I mean, it can be any kind of surface, really. It doesn't really matter. Just something that's comfortable and sturdy for you to start kneading on. 
Okay, so now what you'd want to do is start with the palms of your hand and you're pushing down away from you on the center of the dough. You fold it over, you turn a quarter inch, and then you continue. And this continue this process of pushing, folding, and kneading until the dough has a smooth, kind of satiny, elastic texture. And again, add more flour if the dough is super sticky, but give it time to absorb the moisture that's there. And expect to knead for about approximately five to 10 minutes. And also too, is I, I cover um, shaping in a YouTube video that um, I'll include in the show notes because it's kind of easier sometimes to watch it. Okay, so now mixer kneading. You basically start with the mixer on low for about a minute or so, and then increase the speed to about a medium setting, approximately four to six minutes. And I covered this again in the dough formation section, so I don't want to repeat myself too much here, but when your mixer kneading, you can't just say, okay, four to six minutes. I turn the mixer on. Oh, it's been five minutes. I'm, I'm done. No, it, your kneading time doesn't start until that dough hook is actually pushing into the dough. Think of your hands pushing into the dough, and that's what that dough hook has to do. Because sometimes at first, it's, it's really just gathering itself into a ball. So when I say, you know, four to six minutes on medium speed, I mean when actual kneading is happening. Okay, so you still, I want you to still feel the dough with your bare hands, even if you're using the mixer. And if it's sticky to the point it's difficult to pull your hand away, add a tablespoon of flour at the time. If the dough feels tough and not sticky at all, then mix it a few more minutes and add some more water. After kneading, you're going to place the dough back in that bowl and cover it with a damp towel. I mean, if it's, if it's a dry towel, it's not really that big of a deal. If you want to use saran wrap, that's fine too. So the point is, is that you give it room to grow. So it's got to be a big enough mixing bowl. Okay, so now that's the first rise. And you want to put it into a warm place approximately about an hour and a half into the dough. Basically, it's going to double in bulk. And then what you want to do is just punch the dough down with your fist. Or really, it's not really like a full-on punch. It's more of like a gentle push it down. Place your dough on a flat surface again and shape it as you desire. And so if you're going to do a loaf, basically a 9 by 5 by 3 inch panel work. Or if you're going to do two smaller loaves. The point is whatever pan you're going to use... Your dough should be in there. It, you need about an inch from the top because think of it this way. You're going to put it in the oven when it starts cresting over the pan and then it's going to have an oven spring. So you don't want to put too much dough into a little pan because it's going to spill all over the oven. And the second rising time, basically it's going to take somewhere between 15 minutes to 30 minutes. It really depends upon the temperature of your room. So figure about um, 75 degrees, it's going to be more of like the 15 minutes. At 65 degrees, it's going to be more like the 30 minutes. So you want to turn your oven on, place the pans in the middle of the oven, and it's going to bake for somewhere between 30 and 50 minutes. And I know that's a huge range, but your dough size could be smaller or your oven could be hotter. And really all ovens are different and all of them have different hot spots. And one thing I always tell my bakers, remember, you can always bake more. You can't bake less. So start with 30 minutes and check to see if the loaf is baked long enough by tapping on the bottom of the loaf or take a quick temperature check. And it should register at least 180. That's when dough turns into bread. So it should sound kind of firm and hollow too. And then what you want to do is take that loaf, place it on a wire rack, and let it cool for a couple hours before slicing. Honestly, you should wait for the bread to completely cool before slicing. But you don't have to. I mean, it's kind of hard to resist. So go ahead and Tear a chunk off for immediate consumption if that's what you like to do. So for serving suggestions for Grandma's White, 
I call our old standard. I mean, it really is the most versatile bread that goes well with all types of meats and jams. I mean, you can't go wrong serving Grandma's White at any meal of the day. And I personally prefer Grandma's White on my peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And I'm going to include a link in the show notes to the recipe, also to my online baking classes. I mean, if you're struggling, I really suggest that you download the cast because it's a comprehensive, you know, it lasts about an hour long and it costs $9.95. And it's going to be yours to keep and refresh anytime you need to. Quite frankly, there's a lot of videos out there on YouTube and they cover a lot of different aspects of bread baking. And a lot of them are bad in content and also video quality. And so it takes a lot of time to sort through all those videos to uncover the hidden gems. So if you want to save yourself the time and get good quality video and content, you know, there's a 100% guarantee on those classes. So it's really no risk. I and mean, if you watch it and you don't really think it was that valuable to you, then we give your money back. That's what we do at House Bread. So everything that we sell, there's a guarantee. I don't care if it's my recipe book, if it's a loaf of grandma's white, a scone, whatever. So if someone's not happy, I want happy customers. And so we definitely have a 100% refund policy. And if you'd like to connect with me further, there are links in the show notes. If you want to learn more about House of Bread, I have a website of houseofbread.com. I've got House of Bread franchising. And I really want to tell you that I appreciate you taking time out of your busy day and listening. And I am new at podcasting. Okay, I'm kind of an old baker, but I'm very new at this podcasting. So I welcome all feedback. Happy baking, everyone. Until next time.